Hello there and welcome to the Raw Room Photography Podcast. It's good to have you back. There's loads to talk about today and I want to get into a little discussion around why we limit ourselves as photographers. It's something I've been thinking about recently. It's something I'm guilty of and I think quite a few of you could potentially be guilty of it as well. Before we get into that though, I just want to give you an update on the Raw Room for those of you that are subscribed or potentially going to subscribe. The wedding course, which I think I'm going to call an introduction to wedding photography, will be out probably next week or the week after. I want to get it right. I want to get the information correct uh, so it's accurate. I think that's important when you're teaching. Uh, I think it's going to be it's going to be vital for anyone wanting to start or try doing wedding photography. But I think for those of you that are not, it's also going to be very interesting to give you a bit of insight into what wedding photographers go through. We're going to look at how to get started, how to build your experience, setting up as a wedding photographer, setting your price, very important. Winning your first wedding, obviously a massive deal. The logistics on the day, the shooting on the day, the gear you're going to need, post-processing, uh, and other stuff you can do to make a little bit more money at the end of it. I'm also always putting more landscape stuff up there. The photo competition I'm going to be filming today, or the photo challenge I will film today. So that will be out and there'll be a new one to pick up. So loads going on in the raw room. Uh, framing is another one I've been working on for a little while. It's taken a bit of time though, to, again, to get right. If you've not subscribed to the raw room yet, do take a look. Just go to firstmanphotography.com slash raw room. Uh, and it's five ninety nine a month, uh, and you can cancel at any time. But those of the, those people that are subscribed, I know, are loving it. Right. So, what have we got to talk about? Firstly, a little update: I managed to buy a car, a used car, and I've got to say, having tried to live without a car for a little while to save some money, it's been life changing getting it back into my life. Uh, the last couple of weeks I have been out much more often than before been productive it's exactly what I wanted it's an estate car it's got four-wheel drive I can sleep in the back of it it's also a good family car for when I need it to be and yeah very happy with that and it's going to make me more productive on the whole and that included uh, last week when I did my first trip to the Lake District for quite a while and I went with the first ever subscriber to First Man Photography. He is my probably my oldest and best friend. And he has come onto the video as well, which is quite exciting for me. Uh, because I've had a few of my mates in the background before. I want to start trying to introduce them into the video as characters. Just to add a little bit more uh, depth. Sometimes... I mean, Lyle was great. He wasn't nervous, but some of my friends probably will be when they come on. So I just need to get over that. It is hard when you start talking to camera for the first time. So totally understandable. Now, when I go out, I don't know if you get this, but I, I definitely do. When I go out to do photography or to do some exercise or anything where there's going to be some element of challenge, I get a, a nervous anticipation before going out. And I got that the other day because I was excited as well about what I was going to do. So it was going to include wild camping. 
It was going to include the creation of landscape photography and a video. It was going to include climbing up a mountain. So there was lots to be excited about, but I always get that sort of nervous uh, nervousness beforehand, which kind of does help drive me, but I always get it every single time. I used to get it all the time when I used to go out and do exercise, and I still do, and particularly when I'm injured at the moment. It makes me very nervous. So it's, it's always about overcoming that. But wow, was it a great experience in the Lake District. Now, if you've never done wild camping, I really do recommend you give it a try. It's good fun alone, but it's probably even better with a mate. Yes, obviously, you need to be respectful to the landscape and leave no trace, all that kind of obvious stuff. But the upside and the benefit you get from doing it is just fantastic. So we we went down to the Lake District. We parked up in Grasmere, I think it was, climbed up to Helm Crag. And I wanted to kind of celebrate, in a way, the achievement of getting 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. I You get a plaque for that. And I didn't want to put the plaque on my wall because I'm not very good at celebrating my own success. I talk about this on the video, but I wanted to take a picture of it. So we, that's why we took it up the mountain to take a picture of it. That's all covered in the video on Sunday on YouTube. But it was just beautiful. The conditions were great during the day. We caught a little window in the weather in what otherwise has been really not very nice weather. But in the morning, my goodness, the sunrise was just incredible. Now, I've edited the video already, and I think it looks great. I'm, ex I'm so excited for you all to see it on Sunday. But it was just inspiring conditions. We were surrounded by this beautiful, amazing pink sky. And I managed to get in a little bit closer with the 70-200 lens and just capture an image that I'm really, really happy with. It was... There was hardly any wind. We just woke up with an amazing view, amazing sky. And for me, that's what landscape photography is all about. And having a mate next to you just enhances the whole thing for me. So I really can't wait for you to see that on Sunday at six o'clock on YouTube on First Man Photography. Um, yeah, well, I'm still not quite over it because it was just so nice. Uh, so nice. Right, I will get over it though because we've got some other things to talk about. Uh, as a result of the video the other day where I went to the Durham coast with my dad, uh, I did long exposures there. And I think the coast is a great place to do long exposures because it just it, it's suitable for any weather condition. And particularly if it's overcast, which it is a lot in the UK, then doing long exposures at the beach, you can still create some really interesting pictures. And I hope that's what I achieved in Durham the other week, but I had a few questions. Now, one was about gear. It was about the ND filters I'm using. Now, I use a variety of ND filters at the moment. They're all screwing ones uh, because I thought or think I prefer that. But over the last few months, I've not been particularly happy with my filters. And I've also been thinking I might like to try out a filter system, ones that I can attach to any of my lenses, slot it in, take them out, uh, and do it that way. I'm not going to use ND grads, I don't think, but uh, I do like it. I would do, do want to give that a try for the solid ND filters. 
at the moment I'm using cheap ones. I'm using average ones that put a nasty color cast in. That's my 10-stop filter, actually, that does that uh, for my wide-angle lens. I'm very, very happy with the format high-tech Firecrest, which I use on my 24-70mm to 70 mil lens. That is a 16-stop filter, and it's just beautiful. Really, really nice. Doesn't introduce any color cast at all. And I just love the effect you can get with a 16-stop filter. Really exciting. And I think I used that for the second shot I took in Durham uh, with the black and white shots with the sort of curve of the coastline and the cliff. So, yeah, that's the filters. The other thing is I got asked about after that video was long exposure in terms of getting the dynamic range right and doing bracketing. Now, you could... If you had a filter system, you could just use an ND grad in conjunction with the 10-stop filter, which would manage it. I don't do that, though, but I also don't bracket. You can do long exposure bracketing. You've just got to do it manually. So it could be if your, ex your base exposure is a two-minute exposure, you can do a four-minute exposure for the shadows and a one-minute exposure for the highlights. That would be one stop either side bracketing. Uh, you can work it out if you want to do two stops, but uh, I don't do that. Obviously, it's very time-consuming is one reason I don't do it, but also I don't actually think long exposure is particularly suited very well to scenarios where you have a big dynamic range. So a sunset, for example, if you've got the sun in your frame, you're obviously never going to do a long exposure because the sun's going to move through that frame and just blow everything out. It won't look great. Uh, even at if you've got a sunset and the sun's uh, off in another direction, then it can work, but I generally just do it with a six-stop filter if I'm going to do that, so you can still bracket. Um, but all of my long exposures mostly are the kind of weather that I had at the coast the other day, where it's that kind of flatter light um if there's light on the land i don't think long exposure always works so well i like when i'm going for those kind of long exposure type type fine art type pictures they always seem to work better in in conditions where there isn't as much dynamic range so you can get everything correct all of your exposure correct in just the one frame i do still make sure i I'm exposing for the highlights. If you blow the highlights out, you're never getting those back. But I expose for the highlights, leave the shadows a little bit darker. With modern current cameras, you can pull lots of detail out of those shadows, increase those shadows in post-processing, and it'll still look great. And that's pretty much how I go about all of my long exposure photographs. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's my answer to long exposure bracketing or ex uh, long exposure dynamic range, that kind of thing. Uh, what else? Yeah, wild camping was another thing I got asked randomly the other day, even though I was actually wild camping. But, oh, it's because someone asked me when I was out and about. That's why, because we told them I was, we were going to be wild camping. And he asked, uh, when can you do it? How do you know what to do? Because there isn't a lot of information out there, particularly in the Lake District. And... Strictly speaking, I don't think you're supposed to do it, but it's become so common in the Lake District that it's almost like an unwritten rule that you can do it as long as you get up high enough away from 
the crowds away from the people and you don't disturb anyone. Don't set up a camp ages before sunset either. It's about being respectful to the landscape and respectful to other users. If you set up your camp an hour or so before sunset, that's going to be fine. Sun, Yeah, sunset, that'll be fine. And then you need to be up and away before anyone else is going to be climbing that morning. You might see a photographer, but that will be okay. Uh, it's then also obviously about leaving no trace, all that kind of thing. So it's basically not being an idiot, not being a rowdy bunch of lads getting drunk, lighting a fire, all that kind of thing. If you're there in respect for the landscape and you just want to enjoy the environment, you're getting out there late, you're packing up early, then there's not going to be a problem because you literally you're not causing anybody a problem. Uh, it's getting popular, still not many people doing it. If you're doing it in Scotland, you can pretty much camp anywhere, which is great. Uh, but obviously, Scotland is just so much bigger. There's so much more outdoors in uh, in speech marks to enjoy in Scotland. Uh, so it's, it's slightly different rules in Scotland uh, and slightly easier to do. Right. One of the things I've been thinking about recently is why do we limit ourselves as photographers? Now, what I mean by that is what we, we seem to put these constraints on ourselves and I'm completely guilty of this. So one of the things I've limited myself with is I've kind of for quite a while, I've considered myself to be a photographer of the natural landscape when I do landscape photography. That meaning that I don't want to have man-made objects in my pictures. Houses, roads, buildings, that kind of thing. And there really isn't any good reason for that, other than the fact that's what I like. And I think this gets to the crux of it, is that if we only ever do the type of photography that we like, we are limiting ourselves and potentially closing down potential future passions. Now, I've been inspired around this by working with Charlie Waite and consuming his work again quite recently because he takes pictures of lots of different things. He takes pictures of landscapes. He takes pictures of buildings what may be quite mundane buildings but makes them look fantastic with fantastic light and fantastic use of shape and structure and the way he composes his images uh he, he posted one the other day of the the wings of a swan and it was just absolutely fantastic really beautiful really nice and just something that we might not ever think of doing because we might think oh i don't like that astrophotography is another one i'm very limited I, I, I don't do much astrophotography because i don't particularly like it but i think i should sometimes give it a try more often i get it i hear it from other photographers all the time as well saying they don't like this they don't like that they only shoot this they only shoot that they don't like shooting the popular locations why put that limit on yourself i don't really i don't really understand it even though I'm guilty of it myself, those thoughts enter my mind because I do want to produce original work. But at the same time, I also want to shoot those popular locations and I'm not afraid to do that because some other people might say, well, I don't like shooting those locations in a kind of passive-aggressive way. So I, I really think you should just shoot what you want, try and introduce a bit more variety 
into what you're shooting. I'm really talking to myself here because it's what I'm trying to do. And I did it the other day in the Peak District when I took an image that included a road. It's not something I do very often. It's just a nice road. It was a nice shape. And I think the image worked out really well in what was generally actually quite flat light. That's another one, though, is shooting in bad weather, shooting in flat light. A lot of people don't do it because they're wanting that kind of golden hour type light and they won't go out if there's flat light. I, I just think, again, you're limiting yourself. You never know when you might get a little gap in the cloud or you might get a beautiful long exposure in flat light or you might discover something while you're out exploring that you didn't know was there and then you can come back on another day to capture that in the most beautiful light. So it's just some, it's a mindset I want to get into to always be thinking, why not? Why not do that? It's that kind of attitude rather than thinking, I don't like that, so I'm not going to do it. Someone suggests, shall we do some astrophotography, Adam? Yeah, why not? And I'll see what, see what happens. It may be that I end up with a beautiful portfolio-worthy image at the end of it. Uh, and that's going to include taking slightly more intimate images of things, uh, little shots of a leaf. I saw a picture the other day of a shell. It was kind of a macro shot of a shell on a beach. And it was just absolutely beautiful. I think someone posted it on the First Man Photography Facebook group. It was just beautiful with some really nice light on it. And it was almost like a miniature landscape photograph. And that's the kind of thing I think you can do at times when maybe you're struggling for the wide vista as well. I know we all like to get those big wide vistas, but there are other things around. And I forget that sometimes. I'm guilty of it. And I want to correct that by broadening my horizons again. Now, this goes beyond just landscape photography as well. I've talked about it before where I think we need to try and get our shutter count up, especially landscape photographers who may go out and only shoot, I don't know, 20 images on a day. Say, I do a lot less than that, but uh, say, shoot off 20 frames. Just by picking the camera up, having it in hand all day, every day, take pictures of your family, take pictures of street, the street, try and make the mundane beautiful in any situation and i think just think that's just going to benefit our photography all the time it's going to make you a better landscape photographer it's going to make you better at composition uh and i need to get back into the habit of that i used to do it all the time i used to carry my camera everywhere and around the time probably a year or so before i became a professional i kind of stopped doing it and i don't really know why and as a result i've not got as many pictures of my kids I've not got as many general kind of day-to-day photographs which just document your life in a really nice way. And I need to start doing that again. Uh, it's just something I've been thinking about recently as, I, that I, as I've tried to focus more on positive aspects of life generally. Uh, it's been a funny time recently as I've tried to kind of focus on exactly what I want to be doing, cut some negativity out of my life. I'm getting a lot of negative comments online and stuff. So just trying to focus on the positive made me think about this because I don't want to say I don't do that type of photography just because I don't particularly like it or I don't love it. 
it's worth giving it a try. Try lots of different stuff. And I think it's going to benefit us overall. Uh, what else? Ah, here we go. There's a question from a Raw Room subscriber saying, Hi, Adam. I was wondering what you had to do in your early days to start getting your following like you have on YouTube and Instagram. How often would you post images and videos on both platforms to get a following? Also, do you think it's worth it these days for a new photographer to put the time and the effort into something uh, like this? Hope that makes sense. That's from Stephen. Yeah, I mean, building up a following is difficult. It's probably more difficult than when I started doing it seriously about four years ago, which is when I started First Man Photography. I mean, you've really got to understand your own intentions, I think. If you want to become more well-known as a photographer, then there's no doubt that YouTube and Instagram, to be honest, are probably your primary platforms, unless you stay local. You could get known locally by going out to uh, markets and cafes and getting your work out there and associating with other local photographers. If you want a wider audience online, then yeah, I think YouTube and Instagram are probably at the moment still the way to go. They're, they're two very different platforms. The content sits very differently. You can do well on Instagram just by posting really good pictures. Uh, but I have noticed more recently that the engagement has gone down significantly on Instagram. Therefore, I think the description or the the words that you put alongside your image are more important than ever. I did one the other day where I talked about a bit of burnout and it got a really great reaction. I was blown away by some of the comments. So there are people out there still looking, they're still reading. And I think if you can create something that engages them, a nice picture and a great comment, then you're going to get a lot of engagement still on Instagram. I started playing around with Flickr again recently. And I, I mean, Flickr is so frustrating. I used to love it. And it just hasn't really been developed. Even though SmugMug have now taken over it, it's still just like it was when when uh, when Yahoo had it. Now, let's. I'm just going to log on. I posted a picture the other day. I posted it at the same time as I did on Instagram. And just to give you an idea, my following is slightly bigger on Instagram, obviously, but... Uh, it's got 257 views on Flickr. 20, it's been favorited 23 times and it's got seven comments. I actually don't think that's bad for Flickr. But at the same time, it got, I don't know, 10,000 views on Instagram, a thousand odd likes and loads of nearly, I don't know, 60 or 70 comments on Instagram. What I do like about Flickr is the ability to see the pictures much in much better quality, better resolution, it's better for photo sharing. There's no doubt about it. But uh, Instagram it has billions of users. The the user base is out there. And if you want to build a following, then I think you've got to be on there as a photographer. My advice would be to post great pictures and to put as much effort as you can into creating an interesting post with good words. Um, obviously, it's all about communication, building up the following. How do you communicate your ideas to people? And you need to find the best way of doing that for you. Are you a good talker? Uh, are you a good presenter? Are you 
You might not be. So are you a great writer? So you could write, you could write a blog post. You try using Medium, which I think is great for uh, written content. Obviously put that written content into Facebook, into Instagram, alongside your picture. Maybe a podcast is the way to go. You might have a face for radio, as it were. So start a podcast if you're a great talker. Because there is still not that many photography podcasts out there compared to some other some other genres. So I still think there's some there's some uh, opportunity there as well. I'd love to have more people on on this on this podcast. So if you think you're a great talker and you want to come on, then give me a shout. Just email me, and we'll try and try and set that up. Uh, because yeah, I want to have more interviews and stuff on this channel. YouTube is another beast altogether. There are literally thousands of photography channels out there now. There are thousands more coming all the time. Landscape photography is the same. There's loads of landscape photography vloggers. My advice would be to think long and hard before you start doing it. Obviously, you can give it a try, but if you're thinking about doing it as a long-term thing uh, or to build your audience, then, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of work. It's nearly broken me on a number a number of occasions. I don't obviously regret anything. It's been amazing and incredible, but it comes at a cost. That success comes at a cost. Uh, and I'm not quite sure exactly what that cost is yet, but it's definitely leisure time. <laughs> I don't have any of that anymore. Uh, I'm trying to introduce some back into it now, but uh, yeah, it's just, it could potentially become all you think about because it's very time consuming to create a landscape video or a photography video particularly if you want to try and do something a little bit more original. Uh, so yeah, I mean, obviously there's still some space for some amazing creativity to come along. I'm always trying to take my stuff to the next level. So I don't want to put anyone off starting YouTube, but it needs some thought. Obviously you need to be a good talker. If you If, if your presentation is not upbeat, if... It, that's what I see. I watch a lot. I do check out a lot of particularly landscape vloggers. And what I always find the mistake I think people are making is that it's often very downbeat. It's often very self-effacing. They bash themselves for no apparent reason. And whilst I understand that why they're doing that, because they don't want to come across as arrogant or uh, cocky or anything like that, it, it it doesn't come across that well on video. If you look at, say, presenters on TV, they're always upbeat and trying to lift themselves. Just go, what I would suggest, what I try to do is I'm obviously always trying to be myself and then I just put a little 10% on top for the camera and that always just works really well. It comes across very naturally. It's not over the top. It's positive. It's energetic. And that's what I try to do in my videos. And that, I think if you're starting, you want to try and give that a try. If your personality is somewhat introverted, that's fine. But try and sound positive and just put that little 10% on top and it will be much more engaging, I think. Uh, obviously, it's down to you. You might come across really well without doing that, but that's up to you. Um, but that, yeah, I mean, that's one thing I do see quite often. And now 
don't get me wrong, look back at my first video. I was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Uh, it was downbeat. It was everything I've just said you shouldn't do. So let, I mean, that's been a process that I've gone through. I think my presentation skills have increased over time and yours will too. There's no doubt about it. No one is great the second they start. So be kind to yourselves, forgive yourself and just don't dwell on it. Just move on and do the next one. Just keep uploading if it's something you decide to take on. It's hard though. So it, I'm, I'm saying do it, but te with a with some caution. Uh, yeah, that's really all I can say about that one. But if you do do it and it works out well, then it's great. And it opens doors. There's no doubt about it. You get an international audience. Loads of people contacting you with lovely messages and stuff like that. Um, people might say that you're inspirational, which I still don't think is re is real for me. It's just it's weird when people tell me that, although I do appreciate it very, very much. Uh, certainly some of the videos that I've done, like the one that's going out on Sunday, uh, the landscape and the atmosphere inspired me. And if that comes across in the video, then that's absolutely great. That's what I am aiming to do with those landscape videos. Anyway, I think I've talked for long enough there. Uh, I'd love to hear from you about these podcasts. Uh, it's, it's been great bringing this podcast back. The last episode got over a thousand listens. So that's absolutely brilliant. If I can keep that growing, this will be great. Please do share the podcast. Uh, if you want to leave a, uh, a review on iTunes or anywhere else, that would also be very much appreciated. I think I've got a few of my haters have gone on there and brought that brought the rating down a little bit but please give it a rating as you see fit and that will be very much appreciated as i try to build this podcast get people on get some banter going with people uh as i try to fit everything into the time i have available anyway i hope to speak to you on another one very very soon and i'll see you on the video on sunday i'm adam this is the raw room photography podcast